Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. We have already begun our fall worship series on practical Jesus, the things that Jesus has to say to us that are for us even now, things that we can apply today in our lives. And last week we kicked this off by talking about when Jesus said to guard your words, that words are powerful, that words convey authority, especially when we speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And so therefore we have to pay attention to what we say. Today, we're going to continue that by paying attention to whether or not we're making promises or swearing, and not cursing swearing, but swearing such as, I swear to God, or I swear upon the Bible, or as Jesus mentioned, there were people who used to say, I swear to heaven, or I swear upon the earth. You may have heard somebody say, I swear upon my mother's grave. Well, my mother's not even dead yet. I'm certainly not going to swear upon a grave she's not even inhabiting at this time. But we do hear this a lot in our culture. We hear people saying, you know, do you promise? You just said something. Do you promise? And we want to pay attention to our words because they are able to change lives. And our words are bound up with our faith, whether we recognize it or not. So as we continue to unpack and unfold what Jesus has said today, we want to realize that Jesus is in the midst of a great teaching. The words that I read to you a moment ago from the Gospel account of Matthew are in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. We've already passed over the Beatitudes, we've gotten into some practical matters, and shortly Jesus will get into some of the things that really ruffle the feathers of believers, such as eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, or whether or not you have to forgive someone. He will get into these teachings, and this one here is often glossed over and overlooked. The notion that Jesus says, your words need to be what they are. You should not add these qualifiers as if your regular word is not sufficient. So we recognize that in our culture here in America especially, that we tend not to believe people at face value. We tend to want to elicit some extra promise, as if what they have said is unbelievable or does not qualify until they've added on the notion of that they promise to do this or that they promise that it is true. Do you swear? Even our judicial system is modeled after the notion that you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I can remember when I went into court and had to swear, and I'm thinking, God, forgive me. This is not really what I want to be doing. I mean, I want to tell the truth, but I don't want to swear. Luckily, they didn't make me put my hand on the Bible, because that really would have caused some inner dissonance here. And so when we focus on this, the reason we focus on not swearing or making promises is this. God gives us God's word. How rude would it be if every time God said something powerful, like, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. And if our first response, as soon as God finished that, were to say, do you promise? you swear? Would you like to swear that that is true for us? Instead, we receive it. It is God's gift. God's word is undeniable. Now, there are plenty of us who might say, yeah, well, people, that's a whole other story. And it is. People are a different story. But we were created in the image of the divine. We have been redeemed by God's own work and manifestation in Jesus of Nazareth. We have been sustained by the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. 
and our word works its way back to God. So our word needs to be just as authentic, just as genuine, just as vulnerable. We should not be using 50 words when five will do. And there are so many times where Jesus says something and people want to argue it. And we, and, and the wonderful position we sit now as Christians in this day and age can go, can you believe that they wanted to question Jesus? Can you believe that Jesus said something so powerful as, I am with you always to the end of days? Or that Jesus said, go forth and be forgiven and sin no more. And people are like, do you think he's serious? Do you think we should get him to sign a document? Can we get it notarized by a Pharisee who happens to be hanging around? Instead, the word of God is God's word. And we take it, we receive it, we stand upon it, and we trust it. Our word can be no less. Because if we spend all of our time outside of this space using words superfluously, if we use our words and we think that we must qualify when we're really serious about what we're saying, then how are people outside of the body of Christ to know when we are serious and we talk about God? How are they to know that when we talk about the power and the glory of the gospel that it is true, unless we turn around and go, and I swear on the Bible that it is? Our words, if they are trustworthy and true, are more powerful than any little qualifier, any moniker that we can add onto it. Instead, our words should be so powerfully potent that others, upon hearing them, can do nothing but recognize divine truth in them. And that is not just when we are giving our testimony or when we're inviting people into the life of the church. This is about everything we say and do because we use a lot of words in worship. In the United Methodist Church, we actually consider every clergy person to be a minister of the word, that it is fundamentally part of not only our identity, but our vocation, our role, our calling to preach and teach the word. And it's not just the written word, it is the word. We are ministers of the word, and so you need to believe our words. I've told you before that sometimes I can be a big obstacle to this because I have mastered sarcasm. I have a minor master in sarcasm. And so there are people who are like, is she serious? I don't know if she's serious. I hope that you do know when I'm serious. I hope you know that when I am telling you about the doctrine and theology and the scripture of the church, that I am dead serious. That nothing, nothing is more important than the gifts that God has given us in the word. And that those words are important. And so it is upon me to start to think about how my words are impactful to people in a positive and a negative sense. So what's the practical side of this when Jesus says, don't swear, don't make promises, don't make your vows? You heard over and over again in the gathering liturgy today and in the reading from Malachi, this idea about swearing false vows. And sometimes it's not that we're malicious. Ooh, they're going to ask me to promise and I'm going to say yes, even though I know I'm never going to do it. That's not what we're talking about. There are good people that make promises and because of circumstances, experiences, sickness, you name it, things happen and it falls through. But you have given your word. You have made a vow. And even Deuteronomy says, don't make a vow and incur any guilt. Let your word be your word. Because instead, what we're saying is, this is what I'm going to strive to do. And should I mess up, the response isn't, well, I've signed a verbal contract that says this is the deal. The response is some other powerful words. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I need your grace. 
Those are the words that we should be invoking, not I swear and I promise and I swear upon my head. Although it is ironic now that we can certainly change the color of our hair, can we not? I'm not going that route. I've got money to spend on shoes. But it is important for us to realize just how powerful our words are. Our words are powerful. So when we say to one another, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Do you promise? In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And it is true. It was true then. It is true now. It will be true for all eternity. Amen. It doesn't need a qualifier. It doesn't need an asterisk. It doesn't need a holy vow. This is who we are. And as we continue to grow in our faith and progress toward the kingdom to come, it is important for us to set other people free from that expectation. We ourselves have to eradicate from our language the desire to go, do you promise? Will you swear to that? Will you swear on things? Don't swear to God. I hear that all the time. I swear to God. I'm sure God loves whatever we're swearing about. I'm sure it is so holy and sacred that God would be willing to put all of God's self on the line to prove us right. Instead, let our words be what they are. Words are so important. And even when the disciples said things that were on the verge of vows, Jesus didn't make them promise. They would make some outlandish promises too. I will never forsake you. I will never turn my back on you. Really, Peter, do you want to play this game? Three times. And it's not where Jesus goes, do you promise? Because I already know that this is a lie. So do you promise? Do you want to swear? Do you want to put something on the line here? Instead, Jesus recognizes the weakness of Peter's words, not the weakness of his will in his heart. For our words to be true, honest, true, and authentic, it requires us to have faith not only in God, but in our ability to live out our vows, right? There are vows in the world, and God isn't superfluous about vows. God never asks for anything from us that God doesn't first vow to us. One of the most sacred vows in all of Scripture was after the Exodus, when the people were liberated from their bondage of Egypt, 400 years of bondage, and God brought them out to a mountain that God had foretold through Moses, my people shall worship me here on this mountain. And God did, descended upon the mountain in a beautiful, majestic display of thunder and smoke and lightning. And there at that moment, God uttered the words of a vow, a covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. Amen. And the people didn't dare go, do you swear on Mount Zion? Do you promise the words were so powerful and true. And here's the thing, the yearning for them to be real overrode any earthly inclination to make God sign on a dotted line. The idea that God's word is what God's word is. It does not need any qualification because God proves God's worthiness to us time and time again. God shows us that we are forgiven, that we are loved, and that we are liberated from our past, our sins, our mistakes, our failures. And if you have to turn around and go, do you promise? All we're doing is slandering the gospel. Jesus continually used words to not only convey God's truth, but to manifest the presence of God for people who felt that they could never be in the presence of God. To remind them that they were created in the image of the divine. 
and that even when their humanity is what is unleashed through their words and their actions, that it is the divinity in which they were created that they would be redeemed. That there is something greater than what the earth thinks is important. Because the earth looked at all of these people who had been outcasts, the widows and the orphans, the alien, all of the people proclaimed in Malachi, the world looked at them and said, they are no good. They can't take care of themselves. They certainly can't take care of anybody else. Why should we be bothered? And God said, because they are mine. Amen. You will love them because they are mine. And I love you even when you don't act like you're mine. I love you when you don't talk like you're mine. I love you when you're mine and you won't even show up when I ask. I love you. And I never withdraw that love from you. That is my vow and my covenant. And whether it is the covenant of Mount Sinai or the covenant of the new blood, we are those who have received a promise. And the only being that we should be returning that vow to is the one who initiates a covenant with us. It's the glory of the covenantal system. All the covenants in the scripture are initiated by God. God saying, I choose you. I love you, I redeem you, and I am with and for you. And if those words are trustworthy and true, as Jesus says, then our words, those who have received those blessed words, need to be no less. Because we recognize that we are not perfect. How many times have you promised or swore to do something and you failed? So many of the people that were listed in the prophetic book of Malachi there had made promises Adulterers are people who had made promises and failed to live up to those promises. People who had made vows and not fulfilled them. People who had forsaken the covenant that said that you will care for the widow and the orphan and you will welcome the stranger, the alien in my name, for you too were once strangers. These are the words that people forsook. They forgot who they were and their words became as perverted as their hearts. But if our hearts have truly be, been transformed by Jesus Christ, then so shall our words. So let us stop requiring an extra surety from people. Let us do what God has done for us. Let us take their word as it is and walk with them by faith. When someone says to you, I will do this, I'm going to try to do this, I want to do this, we should say, I want to believe in you. I want to believe in your words, and I want to believe that this will happen, and so I am willing to step out on faith with you and trust you. And when things go wrong, may we embody our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who served in ministry with frail, flawed human beings and time and time again forgave them and let them try again. That should be the model that we live out. Because at the end of the day, our words are very powerful. Words are part of our rituals. They are part of the ways in which we edify each other. My son has a ritual. Every night when he goes to bed, I go downstairs, and he starts by telling Alexa it's bedtime, and she turns off his lights and turns on his nightlight and puts on his sound machine and all kinds of stuff. That ritual starts, and then he, you know, takes much longer than is necessary to get ready for bed as you stand at the door. And then he climbs up into his top bunk, and he says to me, good night. I say, good night. He says, I love you. I say, I love you too. And he says, sweet dreams. I say, yes, sweet dreams. And he goes, best mom ever. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> but it's about the words. Are you just kidding me? What is it you want? Those are not my responses. Because I'm going to take him at his word. 
And because he has been so honest with me, it makes me want to live up to his words. I want to be the best mom ever. I want him to know, not just because I say it, but because I live it, that I love him. That I want him to have a good night. That I want him to have sweet dreams. Not just the dreams when his body is in REM, but I want him to dream dreams, like in the scriptures. I want him to dream of a world where people are who they were created to be. I want him to live in a world where people are not suffering, but they are celebrating. I want him to live in a world where people put their faith into action and put their faith in their words. And that I can have faith in their action and their words, and so can he. That's what we are creating with our words. By the word God created. By the embodiment of the word in Jesus Christ. By his suffering, death, and resurrection, we have been saved. And by the word of Jesus Christ, we have received the sustaining power and authority of the Holy Spirit. Words change everything. Our words need to be sure. And when they're not, then let our words convey that. I want to do this, but I'm not sure that I can. I'm striving to be better, but I might need your grace. Let our words be honest and have integrity and honor so that no one has any cause to say, those Christians, they say a lot of stuff, but they're so hypocritical. Those Christians, they're always saying this and then doing this and saying other things. They say everyone's forgiven, but then I hear them and they say, well, you can never forgive that person. Or I hear them say that God's love is for all people, but they shun some. Let our words reflect the glory of God. And let us set aside anything that does not. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.